Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Hope you're getting through the week well. Again, the trifecta. Make sure you're centering every single day some form of self-care. Making sure you are centering and prioritizing some joy and pleasure. And finally, some rest. Sometimes you can wrap them all up at once, but every single day. Otherwise, your life is out of balance if you don't have time for that. Some people do different starting of the day rituals where they take the first hour upon waking or the first 30 minutes. And instead of looking at their phone immediately or jumping out of bed, they kind of do a mental health practice. And maybe it's meditation, maybe it's journaling, maybe a gratitude list. Or like I said, saying, how can I today center self-care, pleasure, and rest. Am I going to take a nap? Am I going to sit for a while? Am I going to take a couple hours where I'm not available on my phone? Um, setting boundaries, maybe canceling some plans, maybe building in some plans. So, so many different ways to do that, but I just want to remind everyone not to make the entire center point of your day productivity and work. Um, that shouldn't be what our lives are built around. Those things should be forced to fit into our lives. Uh, we are working towards building that kind of world where capitalism doesn't reign supreme, but we're not quite there yet. We got a great show planned. We're going to be talking about so many different things. Millennials. Teen Vogue has some controversy because of a new cover. And also, your Willy Wonka fantasies are coming true. I know. Stick around and learn more about that. And also, Zoom exhaustion. But this time, it's focused on the children. Question of the Night, as always, is up on our Loveline IG page and the stories. So weigh in on that. We'll be breaking that on down later in the show. And of course, slide in those DMs. All the DMs come from our Loveline IG page in the DMs. So drop your questions and Thoughts in there. Um, all right. You're most likely to catch COVID. Where, say doctors? Well, according to Yahoo, here are the 10 most high-risk places where you could contract the coronavirus. So avoid these if you can. First one's bar and restaurants. Well, no kidding. We're forced into proximity. It's indoors. We're there for a long period of time. A lot of people come in and out. And sometimes it involves things like drinking where people are going to let their you know guard down. And often while you're eating and drinking, you're not required to wear a mask. That is a moment where things can be spread. So yes, bars and restaurants are going to be the number one high-risk place and avoid that if possible. Now some restaurants have dining outside. But you know, distance, distance, distance. And then concerts. Well, good to know. We're not doing them right now anyway. Then pools. I think that's because of proximity. The water itself isn't going to be a problem. And then sports venues and then gyms, followed by churches, then beauty salons. And then it just kind of goes from there. So um, I'm going to do better about that one. It's okay. Also, simple tech projects you can do from your house during quarantine. I love this because a lot of people are bored. They're distracted. They need some structure. They need some fun. Uh, organize and back up your photos. Do you know, <laughs> I had my computer crash last year and they were like, you know, the infamous final, you know, quote of, did you back your stuff up? And I was like, blink, blink, 
Blink, blink, crickets, no. Okay, so now I do. Back your stuff up. That is something you can get into during quarantine. Also, backing up docs and projects on your computers. I just said that as well as the photos. Get your emails organized. Some people, you know, their phone's down and you can see how many unanswered emails there are. <laughs> For some people, there's hundreds. But that might be actually an act of self-care. Just because someone emails you or texts you or calls you doesn't mean you have to allow that into your psychology. You don't have to engage that. I tell people all the time, self-care is about boundaries. Just because someone's calling doesn't mean you have to answer. Just because someone left you a voicemail or text doesn't mean you have to read it. You're allowed to say, not now. I don't want to psychologically engage that person right now. Or I don't want to look at what might be a very triggering thing. I want to focus on something else. I often delay responding to emails, text messages, voicemails until I'm ready, until I'm interested. That is a form of self-care. So for some people, not having gone through all their emails is actually a really good sign that they're looking out for themselves. For others, it's the opposite. So you decide. But when I see high numbers, I always think, wow, that's a lot in there. Other projects you can do from your house during quarantine, create a notes and list system to stay organized. Okay. Going through your phone and old technology, see if you can update or make things useful. That's also fascinating to me. I tend to be one of those people that's behind the curve with new technological updates and advancements. Um, so I am one of those people where I could look around and be like, hmm, it's not really working or serving me so much anymore. What can I change? Um, but some, you know, there is some financial privilege in that, right? Also, for Golden Girls fans, uh, I'm sure you've heard about this. Tracy Ellis Ross, Regina King, few others are going to be starring in a reimagined version of the Golden Girls. Zoom. Zoom's going to bring them together, four iconic black women, uh, for an evening. You know, I appreciate that, those that are Golden Girls fans. The, fun, the thing I always laugh about, though, with reboots are it's different cast, different script, different producer, different director, different themes. It's not the same show, like, at all. We're just using the same names. And so when they rebooted like Beverly Hills 90210, I was like, completely different show, which it was, et cetera, et cetera. I wish they didn't do reboots. Let it be what it was. There are so many amazing artists that have new ideas. Let's just make new stuff. If you want to watch the Golden Girls, go back and watch it. I appreciate an all-black cast. That is interesting to me. But I'm talking about when they redo things like Beverly Hills 90210, whatever else is be redone, you don't need to redo it. Write something new because that is actually what you did was write something new. But I do appreciate they think of not reinventing the wheel and they think all the fans are going to come back. But we don't and didn't because we've grown up and it's something Something different. We don't always relate to the new themes. They kind of did that even with Will and Grace. I mean, that was a big show when I was younger, and the reboot I did not relate to. I just I was like, this is a totally different show. That's my two thoughts. All right, coming up next, we're gonna talk about kids, millennial kids, and then Teen Vogue and what they're doing. They're always, always a vanguard, pushing the boundaries. I'm so thankful for them. Listen to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Radio.com. All right, we're back. Question of the night, as always, it's up on our Loveline AG page and the stories. We'll be breaking that on down later in the show, as well as talking about those that have the uh, Willy Wonka. If you've seen that movie, yeah, if you got a fantasy about that, it might be able to come true. If you're going to talk about that right now, let's talk about reasons why millennials don't want kids. So the birth rate has dropped, right? And I know one of the things I was asked when I was interviewed about COVID, people said, do you think that there's going to be like an explosion in births? Because, you know, people are home, they're bored, maybe more sex. Well, we actually saw the opposite. People are not feeling full of joy and energy to have sex. They're depressed, they're anxious. And, you know, just evolutionarily speaking in terms of basic needs, when our basic needs aren't getting met, we're not thinking about higher level things like sexuality or birth, right? Um, and people are looking around worried about employment and finances, also not a time that really makes people motivated to expand their family or bring in a child. 
Uh, and what we're actually seeing is a spike in conflict and divorce because this is a very pressured situation. It amplifies things that might've been a smaller issue. And it's a lot of closeness and time together and people just aren't doing great. So it's understandable that that's happening. Now, historically, it was assumed that if you're a uh, female identified, that you wanted kids and you should want kids and that's really your goal. And a lot of people push back on that, thankfully. Same thing with a couple. They immediately start getting asked when they're having children as though family is what everyone's interested in. And those that aren't, they're sometimes called selfish or self-absorbed and that's not accurate. And so a research piece was done examining what's going on right now and what are the reasons as to why people aren't necessarily wanting to have children as much as they were before or even at all. First thing that came in is that kids aren't always financially feasible. These days, there are the highest rate we've ever had of college graduates and young adults still living with their parents. That's not a commentary on the young adults or graduates. That's a commentary on the world, our culture, and what's going on systemically. Jobs aren't available, uh, the living wages aren't available, and people aren't financially stable because of the way the world is structured and set up right now to be able to move out on their own. Trust me, they want their own place. Most people aren't saying, I want to live at home. It's that they have to, okay? In addition to that, there's a bulk of people that have a lot of financial stress because of student loans and things like that. And also, I'm hearing a lot of people saying, I don't want to bring a child into Trump's America. And some people are worried Trump's going to get elected again. And they're saying, in our racist uh, very toxic culture because of Trump's America and other factors. This isn't the kind of world I want to bring a child into. Or people are more independent, confident, and realizing I don't have to have kids to make my life meaningful or successful. I can be a woman or a man or a family, and we don't necessarily have to have children. I personally am not someone who's looking to have children. My life is meaningful in a lot of other reasons in a lot of ways, and that's not a loss. Don't think that children are always a gain or a benefit. For some people in relationships, it's like dropping a hand grenade in there. It makes things more complicated. Some people have children for reasons that aren't actually very sustainable, such as they do it to make their relationship better, to give them meaning. And what it winds up sometimes giving them is complication. Now, that's not to say that this isn't a positive thing as well for some having children. Of course it is. But I'm just holding space for the other narrative. So when asked, the first reason was because it's not financially feasible. It just wasn't something that they could financially take on based on what's happening. And I appreciate that. I appreciate some people saying, let me look at the context of my life and would bringing in a child be smart for me and or for them, right? Also that there's a fear of passing on mental health issues. Also understandable. When we look at some of the genetic predispositions to addiction and other mental health struggles, there's some people saying, listen, I know what it was like for me to deal with this. I don't want to pass that on to someone, not to someone I love and I care for. Life has been difficult. Life has been complex. And I don't want that for them. And then you can even contextualize it further where they might say, and I don't have access to good healthcare. And I don't want to also set my child up to not be able to get their needs met where there to be some mental health issues or struggles, right? Also, the population's already out of control. Some people said that they are concerned about overcrowding and environmental concerns. Um, and environmentalism is something we need to focus more on. We're looking at you know the drastic outcomes of climate change and it's not good. And some people are looking at that and are saying now's not the time to bring more stress to the planet or the world. Others talked about fertility issues. Um, and that led to the necessity of kids, whether or not. Some people are saying, listen, I, I'm older. There's a delay in people getting married and in committed relationships because they're focusing more on themselves or their careers. They're not feeling that pressure to do so. And later in life, it's just not something that's possible or it's not as reasonable, right? Um, also, pregnancy can take a physical toll, a physical and a mental health toll. And some people, for them, even in the 21st century, childbirth is still a physical ordeal for some people, right? And it's not something they're comfortable with. Another interesting outcome was people aren't buckling under the pressure 
of children and they're focusing on other things. Um, and also, you know, this idea that's just not true that all women are pro are, you know, have this like internalized maternal instinct. That's not honest or accurate. A lot of that instinct is socialization where people confuse what they've been led to believe they need to do and the pressure from that as though it's some internal genetic drive and that's not accurate. People that are male identified and male can also have that instinct or not have that instinct, just like women can or someone who's male, female identified. So we have to kind of back away from those gendered expectations. Um, and then there's also said, some people are talking about how career ambitions take more of a priority, you know, and that children would kind of get in the way of whatever the other pursuits are, you know. Um, it's, it, it's interesting because those reasons as to why someone might not want a larger family or children is going to contextually shift as finances shift, employment, security, and stability shifts, relational health, what might feel secure at one point doesn't at another time, or what doesn't feel secure now or higher conflict kind of resolves and settles down and it makes more sense. And that's why just that early dating question of, do you think you want kids? It's so only able to be answered in that moment because you never know what's coming ahead and how that might reorient your thoughts about children, what they need and what you need and finances. And that stuff matters. You know, it's not a simple, easy decision, especially when you're disconnected from larger family or community care or help and you're kind of on your own. Uh, coming up next, we're going to talk about something that Teen Vogue is doing. Uh, I haven't heard any scandal from them in a minute, but they're always pushing the boundaries and I'm here for it. I love the work they do. It's important. It's meaningful. And they're doing something different with a new cover. Talk about that. Listen to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. And uh, question of the night, as always, it's up on our Loveland IG page. I also hope you are checking out my other show, my live stream show, I'm Listening Live. That's every Thursday night at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. And that's on all the radio.com handles. So radio.com's Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. You can also go back and check out past episodes. It's always a celebrity and expert talking about mental health, what they're up to in the world, self-care, and also the intersections with covid Fun stuff, um, Teen Vogue, they've been pushing boundaries for a minute, which is surprising, right? Because historically, Vogue was pretty normative and traditional. Then Teen Vogue happened, and they were pretty basic. But then they really wanted to be current and push the boundaries. And so they brought on a great editor and new writers. So their current cover is really focused on fashion, as the magazine does, but from a perspective of really honoring revolution and rebellion and centering women that are often left out of the conversation in general, but especially things like fashion. So they put two cover stars two black trans women, both of them trailblazers in their own area. And um, look, because it was all, it was a commentary on Black Lives Mattering, also trans lives mattering, and again, centering and giving power and space for that. Because remember, our mental health, our self-esteem is a reflection of how the world treats us and the world shows us our worth. So when people say, oh, your self-esteem, well, it's more social esteem or relational esteem. It's not just under our control. And self-esteem doesn't mean I don't care what people think. That's sociopathy. I care what people think. And we want to construct a world where everyone's treated kindly. But when you're moving through the world and nothing reflects back who you are and you don't see yourself, yeah, that inherently says you don't have value or meaning or you're not seen as attractive or of any worth, right? So we put cover models on ads and magazines of diversity, that's helping everyone, helping people get more familiar with diversity and creative ways of being, but also normalizing those that live that life. And so I love this because not only are they black trans women, but one of them especially is larger bodied. And I love that they're starting to normalize that as attractive, as beautiful, as successful, as worthwhile. So it's inclusivity. 
Why would anyone want to challenge that? But of course, people are very unhappy. They're very uncomfortable with that. I've even heard people say, why are they throwing trans people in our faces? Why are we throwing cis hetero in everyone's faces? Why can't we acknowledge everyone that exists and give everyone a moment of spotlight? Why, you know, why do we have to follow the standards in the ways that they've been done? I love that fashion is trying to be part of the social justice mission. Every industry is playing a role. Every industry has the opportunity of pushing us forward and focusing on mental health and making the world better or the opposite, right? So the mental health impact of seeing these things is vast and it's great and I love that. And I would just say to those that are uncomfortable or don't understand, that shows you where your work is. Our anxiety around something, our discomfort, that's for us to learn where our work lies. Go do that work. Go explore and figure out why you have the thoughts and feelings you have about that exploited or marginalized person or population or identity, right? I want people, that that should be that little red flag and that little bit of a trigger because we should be celebrating that. I mean, I was a couple of days ago looking at, and again, I apologize for whatever whatever ways I might get some of this information wrong because I'm not awesome with sports and teams and all that. But there was a game, I think it was the Chiefs. Um, but anyway, they, they got on the field and they were locking arms in solidarity and you should have heard all the booing. And what wasn't unacknowledged was the audience booing was white and a lot of the players were black and it was just a commentary on, yeah, Black Lives Matter. Why would you want to boo that? And, you know, people, some people are saying, well, it's a sports game. Just play sports. It's not just a sports game, though. Everything's bigger than just that one thing. Every, it, it's, yeah, it's bigger. It's more meaningful than that. It's not just a bunch of people throwing a ball around. The, the lives and the identities of the people on that field matter. The lives and identities of the people watching the games matter. You know, we're also looking at some Olympiads and athletes that are being told they have too much testosterone for someone who's female identified and, and competes with females and has to go on a testosterone blocking medication. It's like, we're not even able to just let people be where they are and participate from the position that they live at. I mean, this poor human being, we're challenging their biochemistry and their hormone levels. Like that is heartbreaking to me. I can't wait till we get to a time where we just have everyone compete, where sports aren't gendered and we just move away from all these separative designations that aren't even real, right? Because there's a lot of distinctions between women, a lot of similarities between women and men. We know there's more sexes than two, more genders than two, and we have to really start to accommodate that. So I'm really proud of those local um, athletic teams and organizations that are letting trans individuals wrestle and play sports. You know, that is part of mental health, right? Is being able to live your life based on the identity and participate meaningfully. Um, I want that for everyone. We should all seek that. Uh, question of the night, it's up on our Loveline IG page. We come back and talk about that. Also talk about Zoom fatigue. You know, it's not the same to go to school or work on a computer at home on Zoom as it is to be in real time. We're gonna talk about that. But coming up next, we're gonna be doing some DMs. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. It's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world. We want you to explore with confidence. Here we go. Hey, Dr. Chris. My name is Amy. I've listened to your show for about a year and I love everything that you have to say and it all makes sense. Thank you. I had a question that I was wondering if you could help me out with. How thick is the line you need to draw between family and your partner's drama? Oh, that's good. What I mean is, my boyfriend's family always has drama. If it's not his sister doing something, it's his brother. And I love them like I love my own family. 
sometimes even more. <laughs> but I never know how far I can go in talking about the drama. For example, his brother has two baby mothers and one of them is taking him to court. I've been through this exact same issue. The whole family knows about my issue and they still haven't asked me for advice. Am I overstepping if I offer advice? I feel like I know this topic pretty well, so also I'm kind of hurt they haven't even asked me for help. I don't know. It's a good question and it's an important one. And I want to just first say, like, I applaud you for being self-aware enough to be tracking who you are and how you impact others because that's important first step, right? Just that awareness, you know, and that's the first step of just improving things. Second thing is often we do have to be thoughtful how we engage our partners or friends, families, because it's a very sensitive topic. And it's easier for someone internally to maybe critique or challenge their family, but to have someone outside do that, it can sometimes feel a little shaming or bad, right? We personalize it because it's our family. We're, 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 we feel part of it. So we feel like whatever commentary you run on them is kind of reflecting on us as well. So we get a little sensitive. So again, I like the self-awareness you have of, I don't want to make things worse. Third piece is, I feel like it's all about asking. I, I, I'm not a fan of unsolicited advice because it's then never actually seen as helpful or constructive. When we force our advice, it's usually just because we're anxious and we we need to interject. We we need to have that release of saying something. It'll make us feel more secure that we put our thoughts out there. And it's not about us, right? So we only want to give advice or help to those that are asking for it. Because sometimes people just want us to listen and to nod along and go, yeah, that's horrible. That stinks. I'm sorry to hear that. And sometimes they do want our help. So just in general, I love when people say, do you want me to just listen or do you want me to weigh in and, and help, right? So I love that. They might not have asked because they might want to keep it personal. They might not have asked you because they have shame or guilt around it and they feel bad. They might not have asked because maybe they don't want to complicate your life. They might not have asked also because maybe they're a little chaotic and so high conflict that they can't think outside of themselves. But I would always err on the side of staying out because if you get brought in and you become part of, then you're complicating and you are possibly going to have a negative impact on your relationship if things don't go well. So err on the side of not, always ask. And it's a one-on-one -on -one thing. If it's the brother who's having the struggle, the question or discussion would be about you and the brother. The larger family doesn't need your advice. The brother might. And so if you have a good enough relationship with the brother, you could lovingly say, hey, I'm very familiar with this scenario. If you ever wanted support or to know my thoughts, reach out. I'm here. And then you back away and you leave that, you know, you just let them know that you're available and you back away. But I support one-on-one -on -one relationships. You go to the source, you go directly to the person who needs it. So it's not about you talking to the family about his issue. You go to him, offer your help. And if he takes it, he does. And if he doesn't, he doesn't. But let go of making it a personal reflection on their thoughts of you. Because some people don't like to bring other people into their private struggles, you know? So kind of lean out and be content that you're not pulled in because that's often the struggle is people on the other side where they don't want to get involved. It is toxic for them and they keep getting pulled in somehow for whatever reason. And that's the worst scenario. And that could be what happens if you're constantly engaging. So just lovingly stand there and hold presence. You know, that's what I do with uh, someone I'm dating's family members. Um, if they ask me for help, I'm, I'm happy to help. Otherwise, I'm just a witness. Or sometimes I'll say, hey, this seems like a family matter. I'm going to step outside. You know, depends on how you kind of want to run it. Slide in the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex of the world. We want you to explore the confidence coming up next. Some of you are having your big Willy Wonka dreams come true. I got to say, there's something really cool about this. Something's going on over at Jelly Belly, and it's actually kind of interesting. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, you're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Radio.com.
All right, we're back. Question of the night. As always, it's up on our Loveline IG page. And uh, this story is close to my heart because I am a candy fanatic. <laughs> always have been. I was one of those kids where <laughs> when I was a child, I had um, those Flintstone vitamins. And I would, when no one was around, just eat handfuls of them because they were sweet. They were like candy. I was that guy making myself sick from uh, mega doses of vitamins. But Jelly Belly, the jelly beans of all the different flavors, I think we're all familiar with them. They're like bougie gourmet. The founder, David Klein, is giving away the factory. So those that are familiar with Charlie and Chocolate Factory, the story's about this kid and Willy Wonka, who runs a chocolate factory, is gonna hand it over, you get a tour, um, and you buy chocolate bars, and one of them has a golden ticket, and that gets you in there for the tour, and then he was gonna choose someone to kind of give the factory to. So, adorable, really good movie, go back and watch it. Of course, they did a remake, because you know we can't just let things be what they are and watch the original. Uh, but the, the owner of Jelly Belly is doing the same thing. He's like, look, I'm out. So, you're not gonna get a tour, and you're not gonna buy a chocolate bar. Uh, you have to pay 50 bucks for the chance to win. But essentially it's $50 for the possibility of taking over the Jelly Belly company. So that's quite a small investment, um, but it's still similar. So basically what's happening is there's a bunch of golden tickets in the form of necklaces that are being hidden in secret locations across the U.S., right? Um, I, I, you know, I, I don't have the details as to what that hunt looks like, so you have to go online and get the information. But uh, there's gonna be multiple treasure hunts in every state, I love that. And anyone who joins any of the hunts is then eligible to search for the ultimate treasure, the key to one of his candy factories and an all expense paid trip to a candy making university. Like, sign me up. Candy making university, yes please. I would love to leave my career and become a candy maker. <laughs> So each treasure hunt has a limit of a thousand participants, no exceptions. So you got to get in quick <laughs> and the winner of each will win $5,000. Uh, so there's a smaller hunt and then there's a bigger hunt. Um, I love this. You know, basically the, the, the owner said with the golden ticket treasure hunt, our goal is to help get people out and about with their families. Grandma and grandpa can even join the kids and the grandkids take videos of her hunt for inclusion in our series. He's trying to just get people fun. He understands the joy of candy and he wants to turn it over. I think that that's amazing. That, that like put a smile on my face. I'm not gonna enter. I don't have the time to be running around looking for a golden necklace, but you know what? What a fun activity to do with the family. That could be something you go do. Masked, six feet apart. <laughs> I, I don't know the details, but um, you know, a little joy in the time of the pandemic. And I, I just want to close out by switching gears. There's an adorable, adorable TikTok going around. You know, I'm not on TikTok. I have friends that send me certain ones. It's gone viral, and it's an older, older woman coming out to her granddaughter. And it is adorable. And basically, it's just about the idea that it's never too late to come out. Some people's journeys to realizing who they are sexually takes a lot of time. And honestly, sexuality can change over time. And so it's, it's always about who are you now. It's not necessarily finding the true, ongoing, forever and ever and ever landing point. It's not that people often necessarily come out later in life as much as sometimes they don't um, develop into that identity until later in life. And they're coming out when it actually exists for them. And what was really adorable, she comes out to her granddaughter and she says, if I ever get involved with anybody again, it wouldn't be a man, it would be a woman, she says. And then goes on to say, I do like women. I like women much more than men. And it was just really, 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 really sweet because I just value anyone being their true authentic selves, right? Moving towards a life that's rooted in what makes sense to them and just moving off into the rest of their lives content. And there's some idea that 
you know, relationship, romance, and love is more important only matters at our younger years. But older in life, we still want things. We still value things. We still want love or sex or relationality, whether single for a long time or newly divorced or widowed or whatever it might be. And so um, I like these stories that remind us that throughout our lives, we have the capacity to find love and to be in love and to still have a really long, fulfilling sex life. That's one of the flaws. When we're younger, we talk about your sexual prime. Well, anatomically speaking, but your your sexual your sexual best is usually later in life when we've worked through a lot of our issues. We're more confident in ourselves and our bodies. We've stabilized. We care less about what the world wants from us and more about what we want from ourselves. And so your sexual prime is actually your later years. Your genital prime is your younger years, but our later years were beyond the idea that we need our bodies to work a certain way to be sexual or to be sexually confident. We don't need, you know, on-demand erections that are there when we need them, as long as we need them very robustly. We don't necessarily need penetrative sex. You know, it, it becomes bigger than that. It becomes more than that. And, and I love that. And I think that that's really valuable. So thank you for your honesty and thank you for reminding us about that. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk about Zoom. Zoom is where a lot of work is taking place, dating, love, meetings, and also some media is existing and being shot fully on that. But what is the impact it's having on children? Talked about the difficulty of working with Zoom as adults. We're going to talk about the impact it has on children. Things to think about, things to be aware of, because it's not the same. And it requires different parts of us, and we have a different experience of it. And so we're going to talk about that, listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. Question of the night, as always, is up on our Loveline IG page. So still some time to weigh in on that. We'll be breaking that on down right after this segment. Uh, let's talk about Zoom. We've talked about, about the impact it can have on adults, but for children. You know, children can sometimes be more resilient and more robust than adults. Uh, and sometimes it's the reverse. And they're more susceptible, more fragile. And children's lives have changed drastically. They're not able to be out in the world in the ways they want. They aren't having direct access in real time to their friends. Many are going to school online. And remember, when we're sitting in a classroom or in an office, we can move around in our chair. We can drop our vision down for a while and just listen. We can look up. We can kind of turn our heads. Um, Zoom requires consistent ongoing eye contact. And you're staring directly at the person for a long period of time. Where in real time, it's more comfortable to break away, look away, use nuance. So Zoom can be really exhausting for some people. And that's part of it. It requires you to sit in one position. You can't move around. Where in a normal place, you can lean, you can shift your chair, you can get up and move or whatever it is. But Zoom, you need to sit there within the frame, upright. You have to pay attention to things maybe like lighting. And it's consistent eye contact if it's just one person, just staring at each other consistently. And that's exhausting in general. But if you're a child, there's a lot more complication to that because they're not necessarily understanding or as resilient and dealing with what's going on. They miss their friends and you're doing the best play dates online. And I think in the beginning it might've been fun, new or novel, but now we're hitting, you know, technologies, fatigue, zoom fatigue, Corona fatigue. And it's a real issue for all of us. And millions of children around the country are doing the bulk of their schooling online, like I said. And so they're just kind of feeling eh about all of it. Right? So the first thing to understand is maybe they're just sad. Like the whole, their whole lives are different right now. We don't necessarily know when that's going to change. And we're watching birthday parties get canceled and sporting events get canceled concerts. I know a lot of people that are upset about concerts. I thought they're going to see. And now we're talking about the possibility of canceling Halloween. 
right? And so there's a weight on that. And so some children are just sad, right? And these calls, Zoom, is just a reminder of how different things are. It's a reminder not necessarily of you still get to participate, but maybe more of limits or deficits, right? And that can be not something that's really enhancing, enhancing or puts them in a really positive mood. Um, it's hard to not see people face to face and to touch them and to play with them and to run around. It's not the same to try to play or connect or have playtime on Zoom where you're staring at them, right? You're focused, you're sitting upright, you're not running around, you're not playing with toys, you're not looking at them, you're not touching them. You can't just go over and say hi and hug them. But you don't have to necessarily jump in and try to make things better. I think part of the health of this is acknowledging it stinks and not making them feel like they're bad, wrong, or broken because they're not keeping up. I think the best thing is to say, you're right, it's not the same. Own it, lean into it. It is worse. It's not great. It's not the same. It stinks. I'd hate it too. But we're doing the best we can. Can we make it better or make it more fun? But we can still acknowledge the truth is it's not ideal. Again, moving away from toxic positivity. We don't need to always find the silver lining. Sometimes it just totally stinks. And it's okay to acknowledge that. So there's a loss. Allow your child to acknowledge that, right? Like this is where the mental health piece is always existing. Let them learn how to deal with loss and grieve that. Let them grieve. It stinks. Be sad about it. Something bad happened. A loss really is truly there, right? So don't underestimate that difficulty and don't try to necessarily bolster them up and make it better. Now's the time to learn how to deal with disappointment. And, and to just sit in it. So don't try to necessarily fix the sadness, but you can talk about them. You can help them understand how to use it better, how to manage, how to manage it, right? Give them vocabulary, vocabulary to deal with the disappointment though. Um, let them have some control though, right? I don't think it should be about sit there, sit up, pay attention, maybe push the computer back, give them more room to move around. Let them do it on different pieces of furniture. Give them a little bit of agency and control, right? And teachers and classrooms need to do that too. It can't be the same expectations because we are not in the classroom. And it can't be same thing, but just online. Nope, it's a completely different medium with completely different needs. And so it can't be the same. The schedule needs to look different. It has to be shorter periods of time because it is really hard to sit in that focused way. So if class is normally an hour, maybe the Zoom needs to be a half hour. And we make up that work later, or we take things off that aren't necessary from the curriculum, or we, we instead have them do that extra 30 minutes, maybe homework style where they're on their own and they can do it at their comfort, right? But we need to change our mindset and our perspective around it because this is children and they have a different attention span and the expectations have to be different. And again, different from what it would be in real time, right? Um, and if they're getting bored, switch it up. I, mean, I think that sometimes what's great about the phone or FaceTime is you can move around, you can roll around. With things like Zoom or Skype, you need to be present, seated, focused, and upright, right? And that's not gonna work for a lot of younger kids. And so get, get creative. I mean, that's really what this is coming down to for all of us to survive. Trying to connect with people, trying to date, trying to work, because that's the piece of it for adults. It can't, you know, employers can't say, well, whatever you did at the office, I'm expect the same thing at home. Well, at home, I'm with the pets, the kids. Maybe we're sharing one Wi-Fi. Maybe we're sharing one computer. They have to go to school. I mean, imagine a family where they can't afford a second computer and one of the students, I'm sorry, one of the children is using the computer to go to school all day. The parent is at the mercy when the child's not in school. So they're not gonna be available to do the same amount of work at the same time in the same ways. Not everyone can afford multiple computers. And that's what I'm saying to teachers. What do you do when you have one computer and there's three kids at home that need to go to school at the same time? How do you manage that? Not everyone has a, a smartphone. Some people have flip phones where they can't give a kid one of the phones. Or imagine going to school on a phone. I talked about a Taco Bell. Kids sitting outside of Taco Bell to get the free Wi-Fi because they didn't have Wi-Fi at home to do their homework. 
Like that's not okay. Kids shouldn't be sitting on the street outside Taco Bell. Schools need to understand not everyone has the same resources. So if someone doesn't have Wi-Fi or a computer, you need to find another way to give them the education. I say that to employers. You need to ask your employees, do you have access to a computer during nine to five? Maybe they don't. The kid will be using it for school. You need an alternative plan for them. It can't just be figure it out, get a new computer, or you're fired. We need to all be community-based. Care about your employees. Care about your students. Everyone's needs are different right now. We can't have the same expectations on everyone. We can't. It can't be, well, Bob managed to make it work. Well, that's great. Bob lives alone and has his own computer. I have three kids at home using my computer, right? Everyone's needs are different. They also wore a wallet at the office as well. We just weren't willing to acknowledge that. Now we definitely have to. All right, coming up next, question of the night. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, time for question of the night. According to multiple dating apps, cuffing season is coming sooner this year because people are more lonely than ever before. Usually cuffing season lasts from late October to Valentine's Day. Question of the night is, what do you think about this year's cuffing season? Yeah, we were talking about that earlier. It's people are lonelier, they're more burnt out. And with self-isolation, self, uh, right, and quarantining for months and months and months, understandably, people are getting antsy, they're missing connecting to others, they're missing sex and romance. And, um, you know, being inside all day, it just feels darker, more lonelier, and then the winter's coming. So... Tough times, we all need a little care and support. That's why I said three day, uh, three people a day, every day. Reach out three times to someone via whatever method you want, just to remind yourself people are there, connecting. And if you're one of those people that's really struggling with isolation, it's a mental health thing. Get out there, go spend time outside. There's something really meaningful, and I've done this with my mask and my headphones on, just being outside, seeing others. I'm not near crowds, but I'm just seeing others in the world, and there's something healing about that. Maybe ask a friend to meet you for a social distanced coffee or a picnic. We're allowed to be outdoors, away from others, distanced. We don't. It's not don't leave your house ever. It's just be very thoughtful and cautious about not spreading or perpetuating the infection. But you're allowed to leave your house. You're allowed to see people, just small numbers, outdoors, for a small period of time, masked and distanced. I know it sounds like a lot, but it's not. And you will have fun. I've done it. it. It's nourishing, right? So don't think that you can't do anything. And like I've said over and over, I have a lot of friends that are out there dating and it's great and they're happy to have it. And it'll be even better next year when things are different. So don't necessarily think that nothing can happen right now. We're getting back to basics. People are you know, finding ways to do home workouts, finding ways to go to school and work at home, finding ways to still be creative. So if that's what you're looking for, it can still be done. So question of the night is, what do you think about this year's cuffing season? Uh, let's see what y'all said. First person said, some of us can't even get cuffed for the normal cuffing season. Laugh, <laughs> LOL. It's true. This one might feel more complicated, but it might also be easier. Like I said, more people might be looking for connection and love and intimacy because of the pandemic, more so than maybe prior years. So this might actually be a better time. Someone else said, as far as what they think of this year's cuffing season, I just feel like this whole year is canceled. So I know, but we don't have to do that for every domain of our lives. I know it feels like we didn't get a year, but that doesn't mean we can't still do some things. Like don't, as they say, throw the baby out with the bathwater. We can still find joy and pleasure in this difficult time. We can, it still exists. Even when it seems like everything's bad, it's not. And that's why when we're talking about canceling Halloween, I'm like, you can still do things. It just has to be done differently. We have to be willing to do things differently. We have to be willing to accommodate what's going on. We can't always have things the way they've been or the way we want them or the way that feels most comfortable, right? So it's about us just being a little more flexible. So what do you think about this year's cuffing season? Someone said, I think to label it is unnecessarily a pressure. I agree. I don't usually think or work in those terms. I think all these 
all these things can always exist, right? Sorry about that little bleep right there. Technology, a phone call came in. That's the thing about working from home without with different technologies, things get interrupted. But yeah, I don't use those words. I just talk about where we are, right? And so cuffing season's just a little bit of a pop culture thing. Doesn't mean we have to participate in it. And I agree, it puts pressure on people as though you need to be looking, you need to be with someone. No, single dumb's appropriate place to land or it's appropriate goal to have. It's an appropriate place to be. Often relationships take our time and focus and energy away from other things. So there, there's a deficit and a benefit to all different kinds of ways of being in the world. Again, question tonight is what do you think about this year's cuffing season? Someone said cuffing season is made up just like most of the other holidays. Yeah, I know. I agree. It doesn't mean we can't use it as a time to think about something, consider something, try something. That's what I like is when we talk about the new year. Well, for some people, it's a very motivating thing. But yes, we don't want to use it tyrannically against ourselves or pressure ourselves because it doesn't mean it has to be the goal or the norm, right? Someone else said, I already left my summer fling. I'm ready to be cuffed for the winter. Ah, I love it. You're out there. You're doing your thing. <laughs> Was it, pandemic wasn't stopping you or slowing you down. Well done, you know? Uh, somebody else said, I'm going to need a few cuffing buddies to make up for this dry summer. I know. I know, I know. What a funky, funky, funky time. We're learning a lot about ourselves, right? That's what I wanted. I want us to learn to have a new relationship to social life and intimacy, a new relationship to our bodies as they've changed because of what we're eating and access to movement and for many people in gym culture, access to the gym. And let's be, you know, it's not about having to come out of this better, right? Maybe we come out of this worse off. That's honest. That's okay too. But let's not make it more complicated than it has to be. You know, so be honest with where you're at, but make sure you're acknowledging other possibilities and other ways of being because that's real too, right? So don't just throw everything out. Don't just give up on everything. Kind of hang in there, push forward, try for more, do your best. But for many, it's the opposite. It's about resting more, dropping the bar, letting go. That's what I keep saying. I dropped the bar for myself this year. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do 70%. Give myself a break. I'm going to rest. There's a lot going on. And now might be the time to do that because we might not ever have a time like this again where we can really just kind of hole up and, and renew. So allow that. Be kind to yourselves. That's really want us to come out of this, you know, as best off as we can. All right. Question of the night, as always, is up on our Love and IG page. So the new one's up. Weigh in on that. I love hearing from you guys. Thank you for those that participated. Coming up next is uh, some DMs. So stick around. Listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. It's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex world and we want you to explore with confidence. Here we go. Hey, Dr. Chris, is there an age limit to send kids to therapy? My son is 10, but I can already see anxiety disorders in him and they're coming out as anger. I know this because I have them too. I didn't go to therapy until really late in my life and I don't want that to happen to him. But seeing a therapist at 10 just sounds odd to me. Not because I'm embarrassed, but because I feel like he might not even know the emotions he's going through yet. So how can he tell a stranger what he's feeling? Um, therapy is great at all ages, truly. Uh, you know, the best part about people that work with children is they know how to work with children, right? And children definitely express themselves, their thoughts, their feelings, their struggles, their emotions differently. And a trained child therapist knows how to accommodate that. And they use things like play therapy. I want people to get the help they need. And age shouldn't be a limit to that. So there are children in therapy from all sorts of ages. 10 is absolutely appropriate. Find a good child therapist in your area um, and they'll be able to accommodate that. But I agree with you. Don't, don't necessarily back off of therapy because of the age. And although I know you said you're not embarrassed, I do think you're afraid of what that would mean, but it's going to give him a better adolescence. Working through those things now means he doesn't have to go through his teenage years struggling with anxiety or even bring them into adulthood. Maybe they can get resolved now, or he can learn some 
resilience or, you know, mental health management skills. And I know these sounds like these sound like big, complicated adult concepts, but they're brought down to a child's level. And it's a great thing. I actually have a, a therapist friend of mine right now, and we were doing a case consult and he's working with a 10 year old, a 10 year old around the grieving process and mourning the loss of her father. And it's such a beautiful relationship and she's really blessed to have him and he's doing really good work with her. And I'm thankful that the family access therapy and she values the relationship as well, the 10 year old. And so it's, you know, anyone's gone through child therapy as an adult, if they had good therapy, they're thankful it happened. And so get your child into some therapy, you know, again, they'll, they'll handle what that needs to look like, but, um, don't, don't wait just because you think it's too young. It's not, you know, we need to meet people where they're at and not get hung up on, what, what their age might mean or their gender, whatever it is. If someone needs something, let's provide those resources. And those resources def definitely exist. And there's some amazing work being done out there in terms of child therapy. So yeah, please get your child some therapy. And that's what I wanna say to everyone. You know, there's no right or wrong reason to get into therapy. Some people enter therapy saying, I don't really know why I'm here, but I know that I wanna work on some stuff. Or some people come in saying, I just wanna be better. And I don't know what the specific symptoms or treatment is. And I say, great, let's work on that. Um, there's always work to be done. And I love that some people want the safe space. Some people want that intimacy because they don't have access to it otherwise. Some people want to bounce their thoughts off of someone. Some people want someone kind of on their journey with them. Some people want someone to coach them and help them tweak and improve on things. And so there's no wrong reason. There's no right reason. All the reasons are good reasons. Therapists are trained in a multitude of modalities and find someone who specializes. I'm a big fan of specialization. We can't specialize in everything. It's just not possible. So be wary of a therapist that literally covers everything. It's just not possible. Someone that works with children will have a focus on that and, and they'll be able to help you. But maybe just place the call or send the email and pose that question to them. Say, I know you work with children. My child's 10. I have some uncertainty about how that would work. Help me understand how this could help them. And they'll, and they'll hold your hand through it, you know? And, um, your child will thank you. So, you know, reach out. And I said to everyone, there's no right or wrong reason. Don't think that you're not bad enough, you know, to get into therapy. Please don't also think that you're too far gone. Please don't think that there's not help for you. Uh, there's so much diversity in the kinds of therapists and the way they work. I understand that some people of color want a color, a therapist of color. I love that. Some LGBT people want LGBTQIA therapists. I love that. Do what you need to do. Find the resources. They're available. I just want everyone to feel safe, secure, and uh, center their mental health, you know? So, anywho, and that's what the DMs are about. So if you have a question, thought, or concern, drop them in the DMs. Someone else might be struggling or wondering about the same thing. We're always here for you around the clock, so drop them in, and it'll show up on the show at some point. Always confidential and anonymous if you want it to be. And as I said, Question of the Night is always up on our Love on IG page. Love Line, if you want to check out past episodes, it's podcasted at wearechannelq.com, as is my live streaming show. I'm listening live on all the radio.com handles. You can check it out on radio.com's YouTube Facebook and Twitter, always experts and celebrities. And that's every Thursday night at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. As always, you guys, thanks for hanging out with me. Have a beautiful night. If you haven't already built into your day some self-care, some joy, pleasure, and some rest, now's the time to do so. And also decide how you can do it tomorrow. That is how we take care of our mental health. Thanks for hanging out with me, you all, and have a beautiful, beautiful rest of your night.